Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod. My name is Lucy Bill and today I am co-presenting with Emily Dickinson. And today we are joined with three Axiom employees. So if you just want to introduce yourselves and tell us how you got into law. Hi Lucy, Emily, um, thank you so much for having us here. It's a really great opportunity to talk about Axiom and our experience as women in law. So to introduce myself, my name is Naomi Little. I am a senior associate in Axiom. I've been there for two years. I originally studied law at Durham University, graduating in 2012. Um, I did a training contract with Pinsent Masons. Um, I then qualified in 2014 into their infrastructure projects and concessions team. I then decided to have a little bit of better work-life balance and moved in-house in 2016. Uh, And then I joined Axiom in early 2017 as an associate and then promoted at the end of 2017 to senior associate. So I work for a major US investment bank um, based in New York, uh, but based in the office in Belfast working for the client in New York. So I do mainly construction contracts and facilities management contracts for that client. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, Hi, my name is Nicola Mallon and I'm also a senior associate at Axiom. Um, I work for a multinational telecommunications client doing end-to-end negotiations of their procurement contracts. I originally did not choose law as my university subject. In my um, application I had down drama and acting as like my main subjects but I decided sort of last minute to go into law because I thought it was a really good subject to kind of it was complex and multifaceted and I thought that was really interesting um, and it kind of t- touched every aspect of life. At university, I hung out with the computing and design students rather than the law students. They used to have great conversations about the culture around the internet um, and technology back when things like memes were more of an esoteric thing rather than popular culture. And that kind of sparked my interest into um, technology and law and privacy and piracy and intellectual property and things like that. After uni, I worked for a law firm um, based here in Belfast that specialised in intellectual property and commercial contracts and technology. I uh, mainly advised tech startups on their um, commercial contracts. Then I decided I thought I might like to try in-house legal as well, just to see how it was like advising one client rather than multiple ones to see how a company worked from the inside. And sort of Axiom came along through different talks and careers fairs and I thought they sounded really interesting. I thought they had a good culture um, and this seemed like a bit of a stepping stone into in-house legal. But three years later, I'm still at Axiom, still loving it. So that's me. My name is Jelly Cameron and uh, I actually um, work for an international publishing company also based in New York within Axiom and have been with the company for the past five years and I'm a manager there. Um, I started with uh, law with French degree. I'll not tell you when. It was quite a long time ago. And then I did a publishing master's. So um, it's quite interesting to me that somehow I ended up with two quite diverse degrees coming together um, in the job that I'm currently in. So um, after the publishing master's, uh, which was in Oxford, I moved to London and worked um, in a global PR agency. So something very different. Um, I then realised, actually, I I did want to pursue a career in law and um, completed my LPC in London. 
and moved home to Belfast where I qualified in a local firm. Um, I discovered Axiom through reading an article by a guy called Richard Susskind. Um, and when I discovered that they were in Belfast, I was overjoyed and I sort of thought, yeah, this is where I want to work. Got in touch with the then recruitment manager within Axiom, who actually is now one of my very best friends, and had a chat with her, took an opportunity in a temporary role within the, the very first project that Axiom uh, ran out of Belfast, because now the project business is booming. But that was the first project and sort of waited till a permanent job came up. And that was it. Five years on, I'm still there. Um for me, the biggest pull to Axiom was the exposure to such amazing commercial work, but based in Belfast, and it was the culture in Axiom, which I still love. I think it's a great place to work, and I love my job. Cool, very good. Um, you've all mentioned how good it is working for Axiom, and I know we discussed earlier um, that Axiom are really at the forefront of changing the perception of law as you know, a male-dominated or kind of slightly patriarchal or archaic sector of work. Would you just like to tell us a bit about what Axiom are actually doing to try and tackle those perceptions and that reality, unfortunately, in some places? I think the other two probably did a better job of selling Axiom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Axiom is an alternative legal services provider. So we're not a traditional law firm. Um, and yes, you're right, there is still a perception of law as being very male-dominated. Um, but actually, there's more women law students and more women going into law than men at the minute but we're still seeing the top levels um, in law firms as partners um, director level uh, we're still seeing a you know, disproportionate number of men in senior leadership positions and why is that happening you know there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons behind that um, and certainly in Axiom we're very privileged because the CEO is a woman um, and that's very inspiring to the employees um, and when I saw when I was considering applying to Axiom that we had a female CEO I thought okay, there we go, they've started from the top. So for me, that was a big draw to the company. And now us as a, as a committee, we're part of the Women in Leadership group. Uh, and we are really feeding into the company agenda on promotion for women in the company, certainly in the Belfast site, that's our focus. So at the moment, the committee, we're quite, we're quite new, um, but we're coming up with a lot of fresh ideas of what we want to see happen in the company. So we want to champion a female mentoring scheme, uh, female futures, so that we're getting women as soon as they come in the door, because the temptation is sometimes to start at middle management and promote women from that level and focus solely on getting them to upper levels of management. But we really want to start from the ground up. Um, so that's that's an idea that we've floated. Mentoring schemes, um, I think, are really important to, to get women the sponsorship and opportunities um, at an early stage in their career is, is really important. And we really want to focus on that. So a really good event last year for International Women's Day in March. And um, that's coming up again very soon. We hosted like a panel discussion and we had different esteemed leaders in this area or people who were like professors studying different things. And we invited the whole office and got people to submit questions. And we had a really good discussion. There was really intellectual questions, really thought-provoking answers from the panel committee as well. It wasn't it wasn't fluffy or anything. They were quite heated and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a good example of how that kind of gave more visibility around women's issues and the different things that are in the news that comes up across the whole office. I think that was a bit of a success that day. Yeah, it was a fantastic day. And more recently, actually, we've had... The EVP, Roxanne and our CIO, um, who are both based in the US, came to visit the Belfast office and they held a Q&A session, leadership at all levels. And it was incredibly interesting. And we were 
really privileged to hear their journeys and be able to ask them questions. And I actually followed up with them and received email responses from both. So to have such inspiring women be so accessible to us is just brilliant. I think the culture is is very supportive of women in Axiom and that's certainly resonating throughout the office and being felt even, you know, people on the ground. I myself have also had two maternity leaves and been promoted twice during my um, time with Anaxium. So I haven't felt held back in any way and have been able to, you know, have a family as well. So very positive movement on, on that front in Anaxium. Yeah, we also have quite a good flexible working policy. Like employees work quite um, in a quite agile way. I myself work from home one day a week um, and we have core hours when we need to be in the office. But around that, there's a bit of flexibility. So, you know, I don't have any kids, but I have two cats so I can get home and see them <laughs> for a while in the evening. So um, to me, that's, that's really important. And I think we'll probably talk about it in, um, in due course. But Technology at Axiom is really important because, and a lot of people talk about technology and law as being a real driver for client service. And yes, that's important, but technology also enables people to work in an agile way and be a lot more satisfied and engaged with their job. And I think that's really important, not just for women, for men and women, because I think the society is waking up to the fact that, you know, people want to have a bit of a better work-life balance and law traditionally is billable hours, certainly in private practice, you know, hours targets and not everybody wants to do that. And I think that's a, that's a major barrier to female progression in particular um, because, you know, people have responsibilities outside of work and unfortunately caring responsibilities do still tend to fall on women. And so if you give your women an opportunity to fit their lives in around their work and still be reaching for really senior leadership positions because they're able to do that and they're empowered to do so you know to me that's that's great and whilst I only have two cats now I potentially want a family in the future so you know this is a company I want to be with um for the long term yeah and leaving that option open and having that ability to progress through the company regardless of your personal circumstances it creates such a loyalty to the company which is obviously extremely profitable for them as well as yourselves. A few of you mentioned how you began in different law firms and then switched to Axiom. Do you think there has been a different change in the culture from the law firms you were in to Axiom now? I was in um, a local firm before and um, yeah, I think they were great. I had a really positive experience. I think what I would say is that private practice firms and especially within Northern Ireland, from my experience, they do tend to be set up in more of a traditional way where things are done because they've always been done in that way and there's no kind of thinking outside the box and changing the dynamic so that lends itself to um, a set of partners who are um, very sort of strong-minded females and fit almost like a stereotype and there's a, there's, there is probably a bit of a culture of pulling the ladder up after themselves and I had to go through whatever to get to this level, therefore you should have to as well. It'll make you stronger, it'll make you, you know, I'm not going to pussyfoot around this and help you because I didn't get that help. And I think that in Axiom and companies where we're moving outside that traditional model, that that has been blown apart, that, that sort of system of working. Um, and, you know, there's there's other roles outside of legal roles with an axiom and there's just a, a, a diverse range of, of people and characters and talents and skills and jobs that, that are there that just lend itself to this really great culture where so much is encouraged. And I think you wouldn't find that. I certainly didn't find that, you know, seven or eight years ago when I was in private practice. I think also the structure for your career 
um, both men and women is very linear in a in private practice and you move from one step to the next there's no horizontal moving at all whereas within axiom we're moving towards an even more agile way of working where at one level you could potentially move within teams if opportunities arise whereas you could be sitting at the same level in a law firm for years and years and years just waiting for somebody to retire or somebody to leave before you just got one step up and I, I see friends doing that and I feel like I've sort of progressed a lot quicker and had exposure to much more within my work than I would have potentially if I'd stayed in private practice. I, I share that experience to, do, to a degree. So um, I did my training contract with um, a really huge firm based out of Belfast and we were doing uh, UK legal work, but also international legal work. And I had great exposure um, at a very junior level. But I think, um, as Jilly rightly said, in... In traditional law firms, the setup is just so different. Axiom is very forward thinking. And the biggest difference I find moving from private practice to to a firm like Axiom is that you're not surrounded by support staff all the time and you're not um, constantly having to focus on administrative tasks and trying to get everything kind of the more menial tasks always seem to fall to junior trainees um, and you don't get that experience from what I've, I've heard from a lot of junior women in Axiom is, you know, you're not coming in and expected to photocopy and make tea for partners. And we actually had a really interesting discussion when we were chatting about doing this podcast is that it's actually very hard as a junior female lawyer to know the difference of when you're being, you know, asked to do something because you're bottom of the food chain and you're, you know, you're just expected to do a little bit of the more menial tasks. But are you also then maybe sometimes being asked to do it because you're a woman? You know, we've we've all had experiences in meetings where we're assumed to be the most junior person in the room. We're asked to make tea. This is not just us, but friends and colleagues that have had these experiences. I have to be very careful saying this, but um, it's a collective experience. I think you share as a junior, um, as a junior lawyer, and I think we need to stamp that out where possible. You know, making sure that if you're in a meeting and you bring a junior female lawyer along, you make sure that it's clear that she's there to learn about the law and legal practice. She's, you know, she's not just there to take notes or make tea or you know, things like that. So that's that's a big difference in culture shift that I notice moving away from private practice into into Axiom. I think um, what I noticed as well in private practice generally, there's kind of a focus on the individual. So it's all about how much billable hours you bring in. Um, if you're going out to business networking, trying to bring in new clients, um, it's kind of the model sets it up that you're quite looking out for yourself. Um, and kind of even in your your same kind of practice you're almost undercutting your colleagues which isn't kind of what I'm into I quite like working as a team um, and supporting each other and I think you know to your clients it, if somebody in your team does well it makes you look good as well and if some equally if somebody fails it makes everybody else look like a failure as well so I am um, just quite like that about Axiom it's kind of more of a I don't know collegial yeah and the other thing about axiom is the kind of communicate um throughout that you know you don't have to be in a leadership position to be a leader there's things that you can do to kind of progress things or move things forward or put yourself out there which um i think in private practice that isn't really acknowledged you're kind of like Naomi says you're bottom of the food chain it's a bit like the devil wears prada type thing or ugly betty you're kind of uh, you know at the bottom there but um no it's definitely it's definitely encouraged in axiom 
because your billable hours targets don't change because you're doing, you know, work with committees and, and other yeah. kind of social initiatives and CSR um, stuff in your firm. You know, your billable hours do not change. You have to meet them. And I'm not saying everybody should go in, in-house. Everybody can't go in-house. There has to be still some um, private practice lawyers out there. But um, I just, I, I think companies are waking up and I think it is the trend to, to move away from that sort of um, focus on just purely presenteeism. Um, yeah, I definitely have friends who love the cut and thrust of um, private practice and the different clients and, you know, getting the billable hours in and networking to get new clients. But um, just personally, I, I prefer that kind of more in-house model. Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the difficulties with private practice is there is just so much competition. It's so daunting as like a, a young, aspiring female lawyer. The idea of taking that next step and getting work experience, whether it's at a big firm, it's so competitive. It's It almost forces young people into believing that their neighbour is their enemy. You know, they're fighting over those positions because mm-hmm. without them, it's the perception that you wouldn't be able to make it onto the next level. So I think initiatives demystifying the whole process and even changing the culture to make it more open is such an important thing for for students, not just people who are working in Axiom and you know, looking to move on in their careers in that sense, but actually those people who are making the first steps into their legal careers. Yeah, I totally agree. Certainly as a law student, our whole class is full of competition and I'm the type of person who thrives on competition, but I don't think I could stick it out for my whole career to be like that as well. So that is a very interesting perception that um, Axiom are challenging that and working as a team. Just to develop upon that, could you tell us about any group tasks you're currently working on or an example of a teamwork project that's being done at the minute? Well, within our client t- uh, team, we are working together to train the business people within our client's business to do certain lower value contractual work themselves um, sort of in, in an express way um, and we have had to create a process for that and um, there's there's various initiatives that are sort of running concurrently at the same time but we are working very much as a team um, everybody needs to pitch in and as Nicola alluded to if one of us fails it makes all of us look bad it's very much a collective effort and I feel that being remote from our client and being at the end of an email and long calls, there's a lot goes on on the ground that they're not seeing. And that really, really means we have to be tight and work as a team and we have to be knowledge sharing an awful lot. And so when the client contacts are speaking to one person on the team, they've forgotten who they said what to. They assume you all know what they've said. To, so you need to be sure that you've got a system in place and the infrastructure set up that knowledge is being passed along and Everybody knows what they need to know to be able to perform the services to the level that the the client is expecting. So um, I started with a very tangible example and moved into a more general teamwork answer. But I think that that does sort of reflect the teamwork and how we operate. Yeah, I think that's actually um, not to get too far away from the whole point of this podcast, but that is a slight issue with the structure of law degrees across the UK is that they don't foster that kind of collective teamwork, problem solving, those skills and those communication skills. It's so 
independent and so reading focused that it's sometimes very difficult to move away from the competitive element of it towards something that's obviously going to give you experience of what you're doing in the workplace currently and which is obviously going to become more and more prevalent in the legal sector as you know things progress and stuff. Yeah and I actually think that I I totally find that in from degree which is a lot of theory and reading and mine was quite exam based as well and I don't know if that's changed since I I did my degree but the LPC or the the professional qualification that you do if you're qualifying I think is is more practical which is definitely helpful and I'm really glad there is that in between because it would be a steep learning curve to go Mm -hmm. from a law degree straight into a job so at least there is there is something in place but I I totally agree with you and I think that within private practice and we've touched on the fact that it's quite linear in structure and it does kind of then mean that people are only out for themselves because if your friend who's at your level gets the job there's only one space and you don't get it but I think that there's room for movement in private practice too I don't think it's like a lost cause I think it just has to start with the culture and that has to start at partner level and because we're focusing on females I think female partners can be like I've said you know a bit stereotypical and out for themselves and if if I'm going to be like this you should be like this and that could change they could really think about how they can support young female lawyers coming up under them and there's a lot can be done and I think it's it's happening um but yeah probably in places like Axiom we're more in that arena already yeah, I find it really interesting what you're saying about the law degrees being so focused on, um, you know, independent study and individual study, and it's it's so short sighted. And I suppose that's the point of a professional qualification course. But it goes without saying you have to be very technically competent to get ahead today. And I wouldn't discourage anybody from private practice because it is a great opportunity to cut your teeth. Um, and certainly that's how I was exposed to really high value construction projects and facilities management contracts, which is what I am now able to offer to a client in house. Um, And to go back to what you're asking about a project, so I recently just came back from New York. So whilst we're saying we're technologically in advance and working from Belfast to a client in New York, we're not that technologically advanced that we don't get the odd trip. (laughs) So um, just back from New York and and the whole purpose of my visit was to kind of take over the the entire category of facilities management and really corporate services within the client organization. And so I'm now training two um, junior women in my team um, in Belfast, in Axiom. So we're now a three-woman strong team and we're doing work that is traditionally very male-dominated. And I can't tell you the number of negotiation calls I've been on that are related to construction matters, and I'm the only woman. And what I would say to you guys um, as, as aspiring female lawyers is don't be put off by areas of law that you think are male-dominated. And this whole competition thing, do not compete with each other. There are other women and girls who will compete with you, but don't get caught up in that cycle because it happens and it's so negative and it will not help. I think the danger of there being so few women at the top and, and there's increasing levels at middle management, but not a lot at the top, women start to view these positions as so scarce and you compete with each other. Build your own brand of personal excellence be technically incredible and set yourself apart as a safe pair of hands. You will get good work and you will get promoted if you shout about the quality of your work and good feedback that you're getting. So just because it's competitive, don't let it put you off. Um, and just because you start off in private practice, it doesn't mean you can't go into, you know, alternative legal services model. And I really wouldn't put anybody off private practice because I think it's a great experience. I just think there needs to be change in, in, in how the traditional structures have tended to disadvantage women. 
I, I agree. Private practice is great for um, setting you up and learning those skills. And, and it's from my time in private practice, I'm able to look at this kind of objectively and know that there's like a different way of doing things. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely great. I wanted to pick up in that point you were saying about competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bit of competition is good. Um, in my experience anyway, I think it's nice to work with people who are competitive and ambitious, but not to, you know, a detrimental way. I think it's good if somebody pushes you to be your best version of yourself. Um, and if they're, you know, you can't kind of constantly bounce off each other um, and just kind of drive each other to do the best work possible. So I think there is an element of competition that can be healthy, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, um, it, it can cross the line sometimes. Yeah. Recognise it when it's not, but celebrate it when it is positive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as well, if you have that competitive element, but alongside the sort of mentorship programmes and things like that, that fosters a, a positive, you know, everybody lifting each other up atmosphere as opposed to people trying to tear each other down and yeah. Yeah. all those sorts of things. I remember um, at university, just on this competition thing you're saying about with um, studying, I remember uh, when different reading tasks were set for the week, you would go to the library to try and look up the book and the books were either all out or the short-term loan books had the pages of the chapter ripped out of them. Oh my goodness. Really? And I just thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't realise it was that bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Wish I had thought of that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe edit that out, please. <laughs> uh, just to expand on the technology side of Axiom, how do you think technology can revolutionise or how have you noticed the way it has revolutionised the way you practice law? And how important do you think it is within the legal industry? Because I know there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and blockchaining within law firms and a lot of law students don't know exactly what that is nowadays. So would you just like to share your experience of it and how important it is for lawyers? Um, We'll start with explaining what blockchain is. Um, You can get really detailed on it, but essentially it's a ledger that um, is kind of shared across the network. And within that, um, if you try to make a tran- transaction to add to that ledger, instead of one entity being in control of that um, data, there are multiple people with the same data. So they all um, rush to check and verify that. Um, the benefits of that is um, once you add something to the ledger, it can't be deleted or amended. So my understanding is if you were trying to hack a blockchain, it would um, it, you couldn't just you know, hack one. You'd have to hack all the copies of the ledger across the network. And apparently that's pretty impossible and would take a massive amount of computing power. So it's just not happening. Um, but the benefits of that is you get um, a database that's really secure. The data has a lot of integrity and it's also really efficient. It's quite interesting where blockchain is going. There's a lot of talk about it, but I don't think it's like fully developed it. I think um, we could see blockchain in um, the supply chain. I do a lot of procurement contracts, so buying um, stuff in. I think you could um, somehow link the blockchain to the contracts of things you buy. If you think of, for example, um, the food you buy in the supermarket, um, blockchain might be able to track where that's come from the retailer to the distributor to the person who processes the food right back to the grower. I also think um, it could help in the area of conveyancing law. I don't know if you ladies did any property law back in the day. I wish it had been easier so if you can tell me yeah. something's happening to make it. So you know when easier. you buy a house that they um, check the chain of title and stuff yeah. um, and that takes, can take quite a long time. I mm-hmm. think blockchain could somehow make that more efficient and make lawyers jobs you know, a bit better. I, 
I would imagine a time where you could like just click a button and the blockchain could double check, you know, all the hands that's been through. Yeah. Um, so that's the most archaic area of law, really. Yeah, I yeah, think we're actually studying that at the moment. I and the idea of just like clicking on something and all of the deeds and whatever yeah. coming up is and deeds missing and things. Yeah, um, so that's the stuff of dreams. That would be <laughs> that would make a lot of lawyers' life um a lot easier. I think that could work for intellectual property as well, which would be interesting. Um, and there's also an area called smart contracts. So that would be where the parties could sort of agree a contract, but the actual how the contract works and is enforced it wouldn't really need a human element. So, for example, if you could think of if you were renting an Airbnb or something, instead of kind of the parties agreeing terms and conditions, there could be a situation where um, in a smart contract, the parties could agree that you would rent a, a apartment or something for the weekend and you would pay your deposit and the co- the technology would know to release maybe a code for a key in a box for you to go and enter the apartment. Similarly, if you um, didn't pay it, it wouldn't, wouldn't release the code or whatever. That's kind of the interesting parts of blockchain. There's loads, there's endless possibilities, but... Um, I think I think it could be good. So funny, um, my Fitbit is telling me my heart rate is going through the roof because <laughs> I know nothing about technology and law, really. Well, I know it's a thing and I know that AI is developing. And I think um, my, like Jillian and I talked about this, our roles are still very much hands-on reviewing contracts. And um, But I do think we could get to a stage with artificial intelligence where we, we teach, we do machine learning to the point where simple, more repetitive tasks that tend to fall to trainees and junior paralegals um, is, you know, reviewing lots and lots of documents and just getting lost in repetitive tasks. And that leads to burnout and boredom. So I think if we could computerize a lot of that sort of work and get junior lawyers doing more complex um, work a lot earlier on in their careers, you'd be getting trainees who are a lot more engaged in their work and who, whenever they qualify, they're actually ready to go into a into a job and know what to do and not have to go through that really steep learning curve and suddenly the training wheels come off and you're supposed to know what your your area is and you know if you've it used to be six weeks eight rotations that I did in um, my training contract and then we spent some of our time at the institute so you really weren't getting your feet under the table with the work and really understanding everything and then all of a sudden you qualify and it's like I don't know what I'm doing, you know, so then you have to start learning the ropes and, and that's really hard to do at that stage. I think if earlier in the game you weren't having to do the support tasks, the just proofreading of contracts and that sort of thing, if we could get that digitized, I think that would be that would be incredible. Um, but as I say, you, you still need to be a very technically good lawyer and I'm very hands-on and I'm completely type A and I have to have perfect documents and I do spend a lot of time just checking everything and checking it again and checking it again. So you'll never get rid of that for me, but um, I do think we could simplify a lot of the, take a lot of the more simpler tasks and digitize them. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not as knowledgeable as Nicola by any stretch on the, the future of law or, you know, the possibilities that were touched on, but I think it's amazing that we are able to work for the clients that we work for based out of Belfast. And I think as recent as 10 years ago, that was not a thing. And even simple things like I don't ever print, I don't use paper. You know, I'm always on client systems. I'm accessing the same materials that they are accessing from their desks in the US. And just um, the way that Axiom operates as a business model, um, technology supports that and allows us to, to do these jobs and I think that's incredible so I'm very pro technology I'm just going to allow somebody else to work out how to get it to me <laughs> I'm the exact same so what advice would you have if you were an aspiring female law student again I would love to go back and do it all again <laughs> um, 
I think one of the most important things is when you're starting out and you feel very green and you're very much you're like you don't know what you want to do you don't know what area you want to specialize in and you know you can feel really really lost but um, so my advice to um, a junior law student who's aspiring to to become a lawyer um, I think you need to challenge bias and discrimination when you see it confront it head on when you start out as a trainee and we alluded to this earlier be mindful of the difference of being asked to do very menial tasks if you're being asked and you think it's because someone perceives you as you know just a woman she's probably just the secretary she's just probably here to make a cup of tea challenge it that's not what you're there for you're there to learn how to practice the law um, and something we talked about and shared experiences that we'd had um, ourselves colleagues is if you are spoken to in a way that is discriminatory um, or demonstrates bias you can't actually always rely on certainly senior men who might be in that meeting with you or other senior women to call it out um, it's happened time and time again and um, I, I think that it's really important that you you recognize your own value and you, you fight for progression, female progression in whatever company you work for. You don't have to accept the status quo. Um, you know, I've, ex I've experienced it firsthand and I now know what I will and will not accept. And I would also say come up with your own definition of success because the traditional partner track by, by 35, um, that's not the only version of success. I've found success for myself. I was promoted very quickly from when I started at Axiom. It was less than a year before I was promoted from associate to senior associate. And I'm working on really, really interesting projects and I have a great work-life balance. And to me, that is success. Success at this level. And yes, I aspire to future leadership positions and I feel that I'm able to do that. Um, another thing I would say is it's hard to say practice the art of conversation, but you need to be a relationship builder. And what you're saying about technical study of the law, it, it doesn't generate those soft skills that you need as a lawyer. If you're starting out in private practice and even in house, you need to be able to build relationships. You need to be able to have conversations with people on a human level because that's how you make yourself memorable and that's how you can bring work in and that's how people get to know you and establish you and you establish yourself as a trusted pair of hands. So I think that's really important. And unfairly, I think some women are perceived as cold if they don't engage in that sort of conversation. And um, so I think that's really important. Um, I also think you need to have a, a basis of good health and a support network because you can burn out very quickly if you're, I think the billable hours targets has been mentioned a lot, but if you're in an environment where you just, you need to be present all the time and billing however many hundreds of hours, you need to recognize that it's not good for you. Um, and you need to come up with a way of making sure you're producing really good quality work, but you're not getting to the stage of breakdown. Um, and that happens all too often to junior lawyers. It's documented. I think the rates of alcoholism are pretty high among junior lawyers and mm -hmm. junior female lawyers as well. So um, that's something to be really, really mindful of and, and build a good support network. And um, certainly if there's a women's network in your company, join it. Um, become a force for female progression and empowerment um, when you're starting out because it's really, really important to build a support network of other women and learn from the experiences of women who've gone before you. And you can really learn a lot from them. The best advice I would give to somebody is to find a mentor, even at your stage as being a student. I think it's great to talk to somebody who um, is successful and learn that even senior experienced people have their own insecurities and have went through the same challenges that you've been through. Um, it can be quite daunting to approach somebody to you know, ask them to become your mentor, but I would just say reach out to somebody that you admire or you know, offer to take them for a coffee. Coffee is great currency. People would do anything with a coffee. Um, and if you really can't find somebody, then um, 
form your own networks with your peers. Um, I know there's a lean-in group with um, the Queen's Law Society. You guys interviewed them. Mm-hmm. Episode yeah, five, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's great. Just kind of meeting with people, going through the same thing and helping each other out. It, it, it's absolutely invaluable. So going third, I feel like you said lots of things that I would echo. <laughs> but for me personally, I would love to go back and tell myself if I was starting again and I was a law student, not to worry so much because there are times in my career where it was quite twisty and it wasn't it wasn't by any stretch mainstream route that I took and I worried an awful lot about that I kept thinking you know I'm gonna have to pull myself back in and this is wrong and this isn't what other people are doing and actually now I think that was all amazing experience gave me skills that I wouldn't have picked up had I had I just stuck to one straight path so I would say just try and have thought behind every step that you're taking have a reason for doing what you're doing so you can explain it but don't worry if it veers you know I went from law with French to publishing and look I'm now doing a job where those are both relevant so um I I, and I would never have thought that was possible so I would say that just enjoy and don't worry um I think also the biggest thing is to be yourself um I think that you don't have to be a very particular type of leader. There isn't one type. There are there are many ways in which leadership can be exhibited. And I think we've spoken a lot in our group to date about how to be authentic. And you'll be happier and freer and more successful if you're authentic because you're not trying to be something you're not. And you can be a leader while being yourself and um, I think that's what I would love to tell myself. I have one thing I forgot to say and that you will have bad days so save up a folder um, whether it's emails or whatever of good feedback and if you're having a really bad day look at it that's my one That is very good advice because at the minute for a lot of law students are applying or have applied to vacation schemes and I was rejected personally from about six and then I finally got one in Dublin and it's with Pinsent Masons actually. Oh great. But um yeah, that is that is definitely great advice. Thank you for speaking to us. That was really interesting. I'm sure I've certainly le- learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot too. And thank you for listening to LawPod. Until next time. PSXM yeah. are hiring. <laughs> you have been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Stephen Mullen. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at QUB LawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website, lawpod.com. And please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. This was LawPod.